Good evening and welcome back. I'm, I've only got two points to make tonight, uh, so it's a, a shorter talk, and, I'm, and my hope behind this is that I'm looking to create more space just to allow God to really move in power. I've been captivated for, it's been about four or five, no, probably two months now, by the first four chapters in the uh, first five chapters in the book of Acts. And as I was asking the Lord, what should this talk be about? I really had the uh, impression that he wanted me to unpack a little bit how following Jesus involves adventure and adversity. And so those are the two points we're going to look at. What does it mean to have an adventure with Jesus? And how do we handle the adversity? And uh, there's a real sense for many of us that we want the adventure. But we're not so sure about the adversity. And often we have to wait. Have you had to wait for something that had been promised to you? Something that you really wanted? Something that you were excited about? That you thought could make a big difference to your life? I remember waiting for the birthday present that had been promised to me. And I was so impatient in my waiting. It, I found it so difficult to wait because I knew what had been promised. And I just, it's coping with the frustration and, and the excitement and that mix. And when I finally got my racing bike, I really felt at the age of 12 my adventures could begin. Suddenly my world got bigger. I could travel further, I could go and see friends, I could get back in time to keep my mother happy. Um, and I really thought I looked quite good on my racing bike. And at the age of 12, it was a status symbol. Now, isn't it funny how some of these things that you think are so important, we get so excited about. But every time I got on that bike, I recall, I really, that. I'd be going on another adventure. It, it enabled me to have adventures at that age. You know, that it was the going places, seeing friends, but it was being able to explore the suburban wilds of Birmingham, if you hadn't already worked that out from my accent. And then I got my first puncture. Well, nobody explained that that was going to happen to me. And I was miles from home. I had no idea what to do. And I remember walking home with that bike, just feeling so frustrated. My adventures, had, the thrill of it all had just gone. I was trying to cope with the trouble that I now had. And when I got home, my dad and I, we didn't have the right tools, so we got a couple of spoons out of the kitchen without my mother knowing. And we, uh, we got the tire off and the inner tube out. We got a basin full of water, and we were trying to work out where where the, uh, the problem was with the inner tube. Forgive me, I'm going into too much detail. It's just that memory lane is so much fun. What did you need for your first adventure? Can you remember? 
Was it a new uniform for your first day at school? Perhaps it was a passport for your first journey abroad. Or the keys to your first car. Maybe it was the exam results you needed so that you could, you could go to study where you wanted to. Perhaps it was something else. And tell me afterwards, I'm really curious what it was. But whatever it was, can you remember having to wait for the adventure to begin? And then when the adventure did begin, can you remember the thrill? It started. All those hopes and dreams, all your anticipation, it's begun. Now if you were to look into the Bible and wonder, were there any characters there that went on an adventure with God? Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of men and women of faith. And in there you'll find a list of names of the people that went on adventures with God. Noah built the ark. Abraham had to move without knowing where he was going. You've got Isaac, Jacob, we all know about Joseph. There's Moses, he spent 40 years waiting in the wilderness. And the list goes on. And all of them faced adversity. All of them. Now, if you were to name a man from our generation who was known as being an adventurer, who comes to mind? I'm really hoping you're thinking of Bear Grylls because uh, I'm going to play a clip from him now. It's just a minute, but let's hear what he has to say about a life of adventure. What does it take to live a life of adventure? The truth is, the first step is always the hardest. That's the one that takes the most courage. But I've learned not to run from that fear and just do it. My Christian faith can be a little up and down like any relationship. It has struggles and it has doubts. But it's so often brought light to a dark path warmth to a cold mountain and strength to a failing body. I remember crawling onto the summit of Everest and clearing the snow from my mask to see the curvature of the earth at the edges. But finding a simple faith that empowers my life, to me, that's been my greatest adventure. Questions about life? Try Alpha. Apparently, in a survey of mostly middle class men, Bear Grylls was the most admired male. And um, you can understand why he has literally lived a life of adventure. Um, when he was on that trip to Everest, the summit, four, four of them died on that trip. It is life and death. And in a sense, the Christian faith is about life and death. 
what did he need for his adventure? Well, he mentioned courage. But he also mentioned taking that first step, just doing it. And there's a sense on my heart tonight that as I've prepared this, and I've been wondering, Lord, what is it you're asking of me? And I've really had a sense that he's asked me, are you ready? Because I long to see a move of the Holy Spirit across our land again. And I know that on Thursday morning of last week, 7 o'clock, 51 people turned up for a prayer meeting here from 16 different churches, all praying for a move of the Spirit, praying that we would see more people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. It's a prayer meeting that once a month moves around the different churches. And I was just so excited at the way God is, is gathering his church citywide to be focused on telling people about Jesus. <clears throat> you see, an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to adventure and adversity. And you can't have one without the other. An adventure, it's an unusual, exciting, or daring experience. I love going to the cinema. And what, part of the reason for that, I love to watch an action-adventure film. It's often difficult to persuade Helen to go to those. Um, and I think a lot of men do. I'm sure some women do as well. And I walk out and I've sort of, my chest's out and I feel like I have been Jason Statham or whoever it is, obviously without the violence. Um, but there's a real sense of, I've gone on a journey, even if it's only been mental, and I, it sort of fires me up. And then I realise I've sat on my backside for two hours eating Coke, uh, sorry, drinking, drinking popcorn and eating Coke. <laughs> it's sort of shocking, isn't it, how... We have alternatives to the real thing. And there's a sense in which I think God just wants to wake us up. There is an, there's an adventures to be had, and they're daily, and they're often small things. There'll be some big things too, I'm sure. So today I want to look through, I want to walk you through the book of Acts, the first five chapters, just dipping in and out of it, just a few verses, one or two from each chapter. Because I want you to capture the essence of God's heart for us, his church. That we would become adventurous again. For those of you that are unfamiliar, you'll find the book of Acts. It's straight after the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible. Let me set the scene for you. The book of Acts tells the story of what happened to the followers of Jesus, the, uh, the 11 apostles, well, they added a, the 12th after Judas, but it tells that story of what happened to the, the apostles as Jesus was taken up to heaven, how the early church got established, the adventures they had, how the Holy Spirit empowered them. And Luke starts by telling us in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus had suffered death for the, to pay for the world's sins. He'd died on the cross. He'd been crucified, buried, and he rose again on the third day. 
And after all of that suffering, Jesus presented himself to his apostles, his special messengers, and gave more com many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days to demonstrate that he was alive. He appeared to not just them, but many more over that time. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. Here's the command that Jesus gave the followers before he left them. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you had been there with them, what would you have wanted to know next? You see, I think I would have wanted to know, right, Jesus, what are you going to do next? What is going to, we're looking to you, you're our leader, what is going to happen? I'd also be thinking, what on earth are you going on about a gift? Um, we, just, we just want to focus on what you're going to do. Why, why are you telling us about this gift? Anyway, immediately after Jesus had said this, his disciples gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You see, they were focused on, in their minds, the kingdom of God was about re-establishing the kingdom of Israel. They had a very small vision. They hadn't grasped that Jesus was, had come to save the world. And then Jesus told them why they needed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit verse 8 and 9 but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth and after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight can you imagine being there can you imagine the shock it would have been to his followers to see their leader just disappear. There they are wondering if Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he's gone. The adventure Jesus was sending them on was so much bigger than they seemed to have grasped. His kingdom, he had a vision to have a worldwide kingdom. But he was gone. Can you imagine how confusing that must have been? You see, Jesus understood that he completed his part and now it was their turn. But the apostles, they were uneducated, ordinary men. They probably would have disqualified themselves from having any real impact and I think they might have been tempted to go on the run and disappear. With Jesus gone, what were they supposed to do? They were probably fearful at the time. And they had to summon up the courage 
to just take the next step. Take that first step in being obedient to what Jesus had commanded them to do. And I, I've been thinking about that, and I'm thinking they've spent three years with Jesus. They've grown to know him, love him, trust him. This is the least they could do after all he's done for them. And that first step was the first step on a day's journey back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They had to face their fear and do what Jesus commanded them to do. Now, how many of us are in that position today? Jesus is inviting us to a life of adventure. But all we see is all the things that might go wrong, all the difficulties, all the cost of making those decisions. And the challenge is just to do as Jesus has commanded us to. It may have been over the last week, it may have been just today, or it may have been a while that you've been grappling. I'm, I really have a belief that Jesus will have been speaking to us, his people, about what he wants us to do in terms of going on an adventure. It doesn't need to be about traveling. It's about the relationships we're in and being witnesses for him. The first step is always the hardest. Will we learn not to run from our fear, but instead just do as Jesus has prompted us to? You see, the apostles' adventure could have ended at this point if they had not obeyed Jesus. But they did return to Jerusalem and they gathered in the upper room where they'd been staying and they prayed constantly. And I totally get that. They're now faced without a leader and they know that the opposition they're likely to face. And so what do they do in the face of that challenge? They pray. And I think it's a real encouragement to us. Whatever situation we're facing, whether it's the longing for an adventure or the, or the adversity, the trouble that's ahead of us, the best thing we could do is make space and time to pray about it. The believers at this time numbered 120 and Peter became their leader and the church was born. The next dramatic development for the church was the way the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, now the adventure that Peter, the apostles, and the believers were on was moving to a new high. There was a move of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What is happening here? Well, um, Pentecost is one of the three major festivals. And so there were God-fearing Jews from all the nations around in Jerusalem at this time. And here they are, hearing these early believers declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. Acts 2, 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, 
what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've they've had too much wine. Isn't it fascinating? Whenever there's a move of God, or certainly I've noticed, whenever I'm engaging with someone who's genuinely interested in Jesus, there's always somebody wants to ridicule that. Just don't be surprised. You know, it's a small price we pay, and actually, you know, that is part of the cost. Are we prepared to be a bit embarrassed, humiliated for Jesus? Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter goes on to speak boldly to this gathered crowd. It's, it's quite a transformation from the Peter that denied knowing Jesus on the night before he was uh, executed by crucifixion. It's a fascinating read. Let me just take it up again in verse 36, where he's summing up. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit impacting them. When we're bold for Jesus, we can expect that move of the Spirit in people's lives. Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we learn to be obedient and and take that first step and honour Jesus, we can expect to see the move of the Holy Spirit both in us and in those around us. 3,000 came to believe in Jesus that day. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Can you imagine that? It would have been so exciting. I mean, as a pastor, it would be highly inconvenient. But, you know, I'd be prepared to put up with that inconvenience. What happens next? Peter boldly heals a man who'd been lame from birth. And he was now over 40 years old. And he was a beggar um, at, the, at the Gate Beautiful. So many people would have known him. Acts 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So that's what he offered this man. And he didn't leave it there. He then took his hand and he stood Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the church was born. It was growing rapidly. A move of the Holy Spirit. And now there was a miraculous healing. In the city, this was the talk, the talk of the town. The city was being impacted. Jesus was being talked about. It was all going so well. But then adversity hit. And the thing is, this won't come up on the screen, but John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. 
But take heart, I've overcome the world. We are foolish if we do not expect trouble as we follow Jesus. The verse before says that he will give us peace. So we'll have peace in our heart and trouble in our circumstances. Don't be surprised. So this is my second point. Adversity, it's difficult and unpleasant situation. Again, the question is, are we ready? Are you ready? You might be in the middle of adversity right now. And that's what the apostles faced at this point. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, some of the religious leaders, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So that was quite a scene. They were greatly disturbed these religious leaders and the, the sort of representatives of authority because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Well, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead anyway. Acts 4, verse 3 and 4. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed, grew to about 5,000. So again, the ch- even though their leaders have been put in prison, the church is still growing. This move of the Spirit will not be stopped. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So there's a confrontation here. And we we just see how bold Peter is at this point. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and then he goes on to boldly tell them that it was the power was in the name of Jesus. And he refuses to back down. Now, we will find ourselves in situations with our neighbours, maybe at work, at where we study, just in life, where people want to know, what is it that's different about you? And we can try and work out all the answers ahead of time, but I would encourage you, we can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the right thing to say at that time. It will be more authentic. And I want to encourage you, to appropriately seize every opportunity in a very, let's be naturally supernatural with people, honest. Peter goes on to say in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So it's a very bold thing. It is only Jesus that has provided the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have an eternity as part of God, God's heavenly family. We have a heavenly dad and Jesus is coming back. What was the reaction to that? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John were released. They went back to their own people and told them of all that had happened. 
here's another key. In the middle of adversity, they, get, they stand boldly, they're obedient, and then what do they do as they go back to their people? They pray. They gathered, they shared, and they prayed. And I would encourage you, you it's, it's sometimes we think of praying just as a, something we do on our own. I would encourage you, develop some prayer partners. Don't just pray on your own. Here's the prayer that they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So in the face of adversity, they're asking for more of the Holy Spirit so they can continue to be bold. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. <coughs> Is that our heart when we face adversity, when we face difficulty? And I think that's what God wants to do. He wants his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be bold in making a stand and being witnesses. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and here's a key thing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, you may be like me, and you don't always feel in your day-to-day -day life that you're speaking the word of God boldly. And, and it's just a matter of us waiting to be filled. Sundays are all about meeting together to be filled so that we can go out and be witnesses. Are we ready to be that bold for Jesus? Without the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to do it in our own flesh. And when we face adversity, do we pray? I would encourage you, if you're in the middle of trouble now, gather some people around you and pray. At this point, the conflict just escalates. The religious authorities, they're really getting jealous about all that the apostles are doing. But, and they couldn't stop them speaking about Jesus. Acts 5, we're getting to the last few verses. Verse 32 and 33. Where we, we are witnesses of these things, says Peter, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, the, the religious authorities, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. See, that's where Jesus led them. That's where the Holy Spirit led them to a confrontation where they knew that their lives were under the threat of death. And then what did they do? They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now, if you just stop for a moment at this point, because we can easily just move on and think, oh, they were flogged. They were whipped. That would have been vicious. They would have borne those scars on their back. It would have been painful. And then they were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So it's escalating. The apostles left. How do you feel they would have left? Well, this is how they left. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Honestly, it's utterly humbling. They suffered, they were rejoicing because they'd suffered disgrace. 
I don't know about you, but it's so easy to come back from an awkward situation and just be frustrated because we've been slightly humiliated. We are meant to rejoice when we face that. Can you remember how difficult things were when your adventure turned to adversity? When you experienced trouble? Because after being flogged, these apostles and people, day after day, were in the temple courts and they went from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, even though they've been flogged, even though they've been told not to do that. What do we do when, when we're in the midst of that sort of persecution? We might be faint of heart, and I think God wants to fill us afresh so that his people are emboldened. Why am I making such a fuss of this, you might be asking. And I think it's because we spend so much time and energy trying to ad avoid adversity. We want the adventure, but we, we don't want the trouble that will come. And what that often means is that we don't get round to going on the adventure. Or, and, the, and I'm talking about not the big adventures, although there's those two, but the little daily ones when there's an opportunity to demonstrate God's love or to do something that might surprise someone or to forgive someone or to speak about Jesus. I was walking my dog yesterday. For those interested, his name's Eddie, so he's Eddie Murphy. Um, and, uh, yes, I know, ridiculous, isn't it? And I met an older woman, and I've seen her loads, and literally, probably for three or four weeks, God's been making an issue. Talked to her, and she's been more friendly. You know, her husband's died, and uh, she's retired. And I never really had the opportunity, but this has been building up. And I just felt prompted again, and I had the time. And we just got talking, I was just asking her, and instead of talking about the church, I was just talking about Jesus, just sharing my faith. And then she told me how her husband was a Catholic, but he died. And she couldn't understand because he would get his sins forgiven at church and then come out and do it all again. So she didn't see a change in him. She didn't see... And so that left her really puzzled. And we were in the middle of talking about Jesus. And I was there really thrilled. You know, partly because I've got a fresh story to tell. I didn't talk to no, that wasn't true. <laughs> It's a little bit of that, I have to say. But, um, but it was genuinely thinking, ah, oh, I feel I'm just being obedient. It's like a relief. How it goes is over to you, Lord, but I'm actually talking to this woman about Jesus. And then two other women were, were walking. They, they just came up to where we were, and suddenly all four dogs are fighting. I've never seen anything like it. Sort of what happened there? And then these three women are shouting obscenities at each other. One of them's trying to kick somebody else's dog. And I just stood there thinking, what is going on? And you know, isn't it interesting? I thought, we have an enemy. He wanted to disrupt that conversation. It was really horrendous, the things that were coming out of their mouths. I was so shocked. And I think afterwards, we got the dogs on leave, we separated them, the, you know, the obscenities continued. And she was really shaken, this poor woman. 
and, and the conversation ended and I, I went back in and I was really, oh Lord, what went wrong there? And, uh, and as I went home, there was a load of broken glass outside my house and I thought, oh, it's still there, it's been there for days. Oh, I suppose I'd better clear it up. So I did, just quietly, obediently, cleared up the glass and then I saw this woman again. She, she'd done an extra lap, she's just trying to calm down and I went over and we just continued that conversation. She was, oh, so embarrassed about her behaviour. But I've started a journey there. And that's my question. Who are you journeying with? Who doesn't know Jesus that you are journeying with? That you are engaging with? You're putting yourself out for, for them. You see, we face a daily battle to share our faith. Our faith in Jesus. Let's not be surprised when it's hard. I've been following Jesus for um, 37 years now. And I can wholeheartedly say to you that it's been an adventure. There have been plenty of challenges, adversity along the way, heartache and joy. There have been promises uh, from God that I've had to wait for. I waited for a wife. It seemed like an eternity. And then, and then there was a purpose. And then there was a calling. It all took time waiting. There's so many mistakes I've made along the way. So many failures. Yet I long to be filled by the Holy Spirit afresh. To be empowered to be a witness for Jesus. And I long to see signs and wonders in our day. And as we see the kingdom of God extended. It's just about being obedient. Waiting and then receiving the Holy Spirit. 